11, we've looked at Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Joseph, and we're not finished. Uh, this evening we come to Moses. Now Moses is a very big deal in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament and in the New. I typed in Moses uh, in my computerized program, and it came up with 847 references. 847 references in the Bible, so you know Moses deserves some attention. Well, we'll turn to our text found in Hebrews 11, 23 to 27. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 23 through 20, 28, actually. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled uh, the uh, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So, looking at faith this evening in, uh, first of all, in Moses' parents. Um, oops. There we go. Um, the verse begins with a reference to, of course, this very tragic and difficult circumstance surrounding the birth of Moses. And you probably know the backstory to this. Jacob and his sons and their families, 70 people and all, had uh, moved down to Egypt um, during a period of prolonged famine to live under the protection of Joseph. And there, over the years in God's providence and purposes, uh, they grew to become a great nation um, a very large number of people, and all was well and good until Joseph, their protector, died, and a new pharaoh, who knew not Moses, uh, arrived, arose, and he feared this separated ethnic group living within and growing within the borders of Egypt that seemed to continually prosper and, and grow. And he, that is Pharaoh, said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. So Pharaoh and his officials oppressed the children of Israel and made very, life very hard and very bitter for them. But they continued to multiply. So finally Pharaoh gives uh, this chilling order that every son born among the Israelites was to be murdered and thrown into the Nile. 
And knowing what we do about Pharaoh's attitude towards the Israelites, we can only imagine that disobedience to that decree would have been severely punished. Nevertheless, we read in our text that Amram and Jochebed, Moses' parents, disobeyed that wicked edict that the king um, gave uh, and go to great ends to save their newborn son, who would come to be called Moses. For three months, they hid him because we're told they saw he was beautiful. This is reiterated in Exodus, the Exodus account. And again, in Stephen, Stephen the, 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 the martyr's testimony in Acts 7, where we read that, that he, uh, Stephen says he was beautiful in God's sight. Of course he was. He was beautiful in, in his, like every child who bears the image and likeness of God and, and is precious and beautiful in God's sight and also in his parents' sight. Infanticide, the destruction of innocent children in Egypt then and around the world today, including this nation, is a, really a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, whether Amram and Jochebed considered their child beautiful in the manner in which every parent regards their newborn, or whether God had communicated them in some manner that this child was particularly special, we're not told. What we do know is the length to which they went to save him. After hiding him was no longer possible, uh, they come up with another scheme. Uh, Moses, you remember, is placed into this basket that's made water, waterproof with the smearing of pitch, and uh, they strategically float it on the Nile River in a very particular chosen place. This was not a haphazard effort. It was a carefully planned operation. Uh, did they know that the daughter of Pharaoh had a soft place in her heart for children? Um, was she sympathetic to the Israelites and repulsed by her father's decree? Or was she childless? Um, they certainly knew um, where Pharaoh's daughter habitually came to bathe uh, in the Nile and to place the basket so it would be found by her. And when it was found, the sudden uh, amazing appearance of uh, Moses' uh, sister, who was there to spy out everything and boldly suggest that a lactating uh, Israelite woman be found, undoubtedly Moses' mother, to nurse the baby. Um, and the ready agreement uh, by Pharaoh's daughter, uh, she knew what was going on. And her payment uh, for services which assured Moses of the very highest level of protection. Well, all that's tremendously wonderful and very providential, isn't it? But we mustn't miss the opening words of the text. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden by three months and so forth. So the story of Moses, which is the story of redemption, is a story of faith. And it begins not with Moses' faith, but with the faith of his parents. They trusted this child to the Lord. They acted in faith. Faith that made a way for them to do what they knew was the right thing. God put that plan of rescue in their heart. Faith always makes a way. Well, I think it's significant uh, that God the Holy Spirit has retained this note about faith, for the faith of Moses' parents, um, before he goes on to speak to us uh, about the faith of Moses himself. I mean, don't we know, brothers and sisters, that the promise of the covenant 
embrace believers and their children. Uh, God typically works in and through families. Uh, God says to Abraham uh, at Genesis 17, 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring uh, after you. Now, this isn't an altogether mysterious thing. This is, this is God working faith in the children of believers uh, through or by the instrumentality of the faithful witness of their parents, of families, by word and deed, and churches, by the way. Uh, God worked through uh, Noah and his family, and Lot and his family, and Abraham and his family, and Moses and his family. God is a family God. Uh, even in infancy, Moses was surrounded by faith, a faith community, uh, the faith of his father and mother, Amram and Jacobin, who remembered the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, Jacob, and trusted him and, and looked to him in faith to protect and bless their son Moses. Pharaoh's daughter may have drawn him out of the waters, but God drew him to himself in faith. Moses, in his earliest years, of course, was raised in a community of faith, both his parents and uh, the godly folk uh, around him of the line of Levi. The, uh, uh, the Exodus uh, 2 account is careful to tell us that. Um, verse 10, Exodus 2.10, When the child grew up, she, that is, Moses' birth mother, Jochebed, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now, most biblical scholars feel that in that age, in that time and culture, Moses would have been three or five years old before he was weaned, at which point he was taken finally to Pharaoh's palace. And during that time, Moses' parents had a lot of influence over that little boy. We see the same thing in the case of Hannah and the boy Samuel, who she promised, you recall, to temple a service for Eli. Um, Samuel would also have been of similar age when she was brought by, uh, by his mother, or he was brought by his mother, uh, to live in the temple with Eli. But God used the mighty influence of his godly mother and father to impress a deep faith, or at least a seed of faith, in him, uh, even in those in his early tender years. Train up a child, and the way will go even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, this is so helpful and hopeful uh, and instructive to parents and grandparents and indeed the entire community of church, uh, especially as we look upon older children or young people who, who have not uh, confessed faith, but we, we cling to God's promises and to his covenant. And, and we don't ask a little children or children of any age to choose their religion. Duh. We choose for them. As we should. It's our duty uh, before God and our very great privilege uh, to show them what faith is and to share it with them. We, to tell them and show them what it means in day-to-day -day life to choose Jesus, to put him first, to love him, to obey him, and live in faith before him. We fill them with truth and the hope of the gospel from the day of their birth. We sing songs of faith to them and we bring them uh, to church where they hear and they see these things for, um, uh, for as long as we have any influence. 
whatever else may happen to them in life, wherever they go, whatever they do, when our influence ends or is diminished one way or another, what we have given them is a great gift. Uh, And we trust God and we pray in faith for saving fruit. Humanly speaking, Moses would not have even survived, uh, let alone become a man of faith, who knew how to make his own courageous spiritual choices were it not for the faith of his parents. Uh, Can uh, the children of unbelievers be saved? Of course they can. And sometimes they are. Uh, Is every son and daughter of faithful parents saved? Well, that's our prayer, isn't it? And God does appear and represents himself to be deeply prejudiced towards the children of believing, faithful, praying, loving parents. And especially those who are brought up sitting with their parents every Lord's Day, morning and evening, and believing, faithful, loving, prayerful churches. The faith of Moses' parents. That's my first point. It's important, isn't it? Uh, but what does faith do um, for, for Moses? Um, <clears throat> Uh, verse 24-25 tells us, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses grew up in the palace of the king. Uh, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, again tells us in, um, in Acts 7, a Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. Now, his people, the Israelites, had become a slave class in Egypt, driven and persecuted badly. But Moses himself was living as one of the most privileged people uh, anywhere in the world of that day, brought up as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the prince in the land. There are some scholars who believe that uh, he might have even been being groomed to be the heir to the throne of Egypt. But he throws it all off, doesn't he? Uh, to identify with his people. Choosing mistreatment and a very hard, tumultuous life of the people of God rather than to remain in the unbelieving, idolatrous world of the Egyptian court. Indeed, as soon as it becomes evident to to Pharaoh that his uh, gifted, uh, powerfully able man, this gifted, powerfully able man, had returned in his heart to the Israelites, he knew that Moses would be a powerful enemy and a force of the very sort of disruption that he feared, and he ordered his death. Uh, Moses, uh, uh, Pharaoh wasn't concerned about the death of some man that Moses uh, killed. He was concerned about what was happening to Moses and Moses' identification with his people. And so Moses is, is forced to flee deep into the desert where God begins grooming and preparing him to be a real leader. Um, so he goes from the palace to the desert as a shepherd of a herd of sheep. Um, sheep herding was deeply despised by the Egyptians. When Joseph's family brought their sheep and cattle to Egypt, you recall they were set apart. Moses, uh, rather, Pharaoh set them apart in the land of Goshen because of the great disdain the Egyptians had for sheep. You can address 
Bill Wilkie to learn a little more about sheep. Uh, but um, the point is that Moses uh, uh, moves from the very, the very top rung of society to the very bottom. And, and how? How could he possibly do that? We're told how. He did it by faith. It was not a sentimental sort of thing uh, of nationalism or some sort of ethnic pride. You know, Moses finds his roots. Uh, that would never have been enough to induce a bright man like Moses to leave the premier seat of worldly power and privilege. But faith, now that's another matter. Faith in the living God can impel any man or woman to make courageous spiritual choices that make no sense at all to the world around us. By faith, here's a man who escapes privations and horrors of life in North Korea and throws off the the prospect of a prosperous life of ease in South Korea, the United States, and chooses to steal secretly back into North Korea to take the gospel to his people and and live a life of privation and danger and almost certain arrest. By faith, a Christian girl throws off a proposal of marriage from a wealthy, attractive guy who offers his love and promises her a wonderful life, but who is unconverted and has no commitment to Christ. By faith, trusting in God and his word, his promises, a high school student who's confessed Christ in his church uh, finds courage to speak boldly to a friend, urging him to turn away from his evil course and consider the value of his soul. The text tells us, very frankly and straight out, that by faith, Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. It reminds us that faith is not irrational. Uh, Moses chose to be mistreated. He chose to to serve a God rather than Pharaoh. And he had a reason for doing so. And one great reason, uh, the greatest reason, was that he had his eyes on greater things. Moses, by the grace of God, saw that there was something greater to be had, even than what he would have gotten uh, in in Egypt. Um, And so, you see, he was... He was looking for something that the Pharaoh could not offer him. He was looking for a reward for heaven itself, an intimate fellowship with God. He wanted to ally himself, not just with God's people, but with God himself and with Christ, and to bear with Christ the rejection of the world and in preference to the promises of God. The followers of Christ have always been called to make courageous choices to bear his cross, to bear his rejection, and to bear the derision of the world, um, but always with the constant certainty that their sorrows will turn to joy. Uh, Jesus spoke of this in the Beatitudes, which I suppose the pastor will get to eventually, at the end where he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad... Uh, For great is your reward in heaven. There it is. Great is your reward in heaven. uh, For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Apostle Paul knew about this. He threw off the life of a prominent Pharisee in faith, chose Christ 
and the reward in heaven. He wrote, but whatever is to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So judged the apostle. The writer to the Hebrews is concerned um, here about a congregation, apparently this is the background of Hebrews, um, concerned about a congregation of converted Jews, Jews that become Christians, who were being tempted by the hardships and the persecutions that they were experiencing to throw off their Christian faith and return to first century Judaism. And so he writes this epistle telling them about all these great men, women and men of faith and urging them, Hebrews 10.25, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in you, is, uh, for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. How different uh, men and women of faith are from uh, other people, writes Stuart Eliot. All these examples throughout Hebrews 11 bear this out. Ordinary men and women base their thoughts uh, about the future or what they see or what, on what they see or what they hope for or, or what they, they plan um, and, uh, and what they think is possible and feasible. Believers are not like that at all. Uh, all their thought, all your thought, is about, uh, about the future is regulated by with faith in the promises of God. They do everything in the light of what his word teaches. So when the world has nothing to look forward to, the Christian does. In his mind's eye, he gets excited about the continuing progress of the gospel, the return of the Lord, the ruin of Satan, and the acquittal of the final judgment, and the wonders of being with Jesus eternally. Those are the things that capture our eyes. The uncrushed optimism of the believer is not based on anything that can be seen. The existence of these future realities cannot be proved in a normal sense, no. Uh, uh, the lack of evidence uh, causes the unbelieving world to question whether, whether anything uh, in the Christian's hope can be true, and they may even mock the idea. Uh, but the believer continues to believe, uh, quite undeterred. He is sure of what God has promised. It is not open to question, um, and his certainty brings him calm comfort and excited expectancy. There's nothing as sure as God's word. And so he does not give into pessimism or despair or apostasy. The future is always as bright as the promises of God. Is that the way it is with you? <clears throat> Are you willing to make courageous choices by which I mean every day, not dramatic <laughs> once-in-a-lifetime choices, um, there are a few of those things that we might do in life, but mostly our choices are just everyday choices, courageous choices to trust Jesus. Um, are you willing to crucify your own sinful nature and follow Christ, to walk 
uh, by faith and not by sight, casting yourself daily on the Lord Jesus uh, to carry on faithfully as a parent, as a grandparent, as a student, as an honest workman or, or woman or retired person. Uh, all the while, choosing Christ and the way of the Bible over the bright uh, but brief, empty promises of the world. Are you able, in other words, to agree with the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us the eternal glory, which is far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Um, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me finish with um, one last reminder um, that um, faith perseveres. In verse 27, we read um, that by faith he, that is Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Um, I think that reference uh, may be not to his fleeing the wrath of Pharaoh after the his murder of the Egyptian, but rather um, to his leading the throng of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the desert. That certainly incurred the wrath of, of Pharaoh. And I think uh, verse 27 may also be referring to the persevering faith required for him to return time after time after time after time to Moses. Ten times making the same impossible demand. All right, Moses. Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. You know, Pharaoh is tapping his feet. He's heard this. He's getting angry. But Moses perseveres. And when he finally did receive permission to leave, you remember Pharaoh changes his mind and hastens after him to the very end of the Red Sea with his cracked chariot corps. But by faith, Moses um, persevered through it all, even, even against the counsel of his own elders. In verse 28, Hebrews 11:28, we read that by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. Now that took persevering faith to continue faithful to God in the Passover. For who of the sons and daughters of Abraham, including Moses himself, did not know or, or suppose that they were so morally superior to the Egyptian folk all around them that they might not have wondered if the blood of Christ was sufficient to cover their sins as well. And, and to save them from the death angel um, and, and from being struck down in judgment as the Egyptians. And so you, it was an act of faith when they celebrated the Passover. Um, and so you and I, by faith, must believe um, that the blood of Christ, that the work of the Savior on the cross 2,000 years ago, is still powerful, is still sufficient to cover all our sins every day in our lives. If that's not your confidence, then you simply need to ask Jesus to save you and give you uh, such faith as will enable you to live in strength and confidence and to make courageous choices for Christ every day. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, when we read about Moses and about his parents, uh, we're reminded, Lord, of the faith that you gave him. And Lord, we clamor for the same faith. For in our mind's eye, we have that same promise. And we see it more clearly. It's, it's laid forth for us in greater detail and technicolor. Lord, uh, give us grace uh, to keep that in front of us. To keep your promises and your blessings and your grace in front of us. That we might persevere and live our lives as believers in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.